Hello and welcome into Brewcast from Mason Brew on the SB Nation Podcast Network. Luke Yardy with you along with Anthony Broom and Chris Castellani here with you on a Monday and headed into Tuesday as we kick off the week following the NFL Draft. And uh, good to be back with you boys here as we take a look back on the draft. A lot to talk about Michigan uh, getting themselves a lot of players drafted. That's good, but also it's brought out some criticism as well with the way the seasons have gone. On, uh, the last few years under Jim Harbaugh, particularly in 2019. But before we dive into it all, how are we doing here, boys? You guys doing all right? I'm doing well. And Luke, you're sounding especially like radio voicey today. So <laughs> there's a little pep in your step. I know you're working on with some new equipment there or equipment you've used, but not for us before. But right. you're, sound, you're sounding good, my friend. Uh, the sun is out. The windows at my house are open. Um, yeah, it's... All things considered, I mean, usually usually draft weekend is one of those things where you kind of feel gross for having sit, you know, having sat through and watched every single pick all three days. Uh, but I felt like this for almost 50 days now because of what we're going through. Right. So it just feels not different to me at all. Yeah, it's not really uh, anything new. Uh, I think this, you know, I'm not like the world's biggest fan of drafts in general, especially the NFL draft, but this, it was much needed over this most recent week. I think people are, uh, I've been surprised actually to, to a certain extent, minus a few knuckleheads, but surprised with how patient uh, a lot of people have been during this whole process, this uh, whole quarantine situation. Um, but I feel like people after what it, what's been, what six weeks now are, are starting to break. And I think this draft provided us as a show, with uh with material which is which is nice i i like the fact that during this whole process we've been able to uh we've done the best we can uh getting material and i think this most recent draft provided it pro- uh provided us with that so i it definitely some intriguing storylines in terms of what's uh what happened to michigan and michigan's players over uh this most recent weekend i think there's a lot of positives to be taken away from it uh, i think a lot of things that will help uh, the program and could help recruiting, but there are also, there's also several uh, downsides to having so many players drafted, especially when you kind of look at uh, some of the disappointing on-field results that Michigan's had over the last couple of years. And that's something that I think we can definitely cover today. So we're obviously going to dive deep on that, but uh, before we get into all that, my most pressing question is what was the spread like for you guys uh, over the draft you know I took it as an advantage since we didn't get the opening weekend of the NCAA basketball tournament I was going big on like wings and beer and I, I just kind of treated it as a, as a whole weekend what, what was the spread what's the draft spread for Anthony Broom and Chris Castellani uh similar to what the spread has been for most days uh, this last these last 45, 50 days, however many days it's been at this point. I know the, the popular meme thing is quarantine day, whatever. But honestly, it does feel like that at this point. Um, Thursday night, I pizzaed pretty hard. Um, I just got a pizza, ate about, you know, large pizzas. or I got a medium pizza. It was eight slices. I think I had three of them. And then I had the leftovers. Like I just killed the rest of it on Saturday. And Friday night, I had Olive Garden. No free ads. But. Um, sure. it was fairly simple, uh, you know, snack. And like I said, uh, it has been cool. The draft, in addition to, um, the first four episodes of the last dance that have been on ESPN the last couple Sundays, it's kind of, obviously everything's not normal, 
but it has been kind of a sort of throwback to communal live tweeting and, and stuff like that of sporting events. And I think it's been a heck of a lot of fun. So when I do typically when I do those things is I drink alcohol and I overeat. And uh, this weekend was no exception. Yeah, same here. Uh, a lot of wings. I hadn't had wings in a while, a couple months, which for me is forever. Uh, so I had those while watching the draft and obviously, uh, you know, trying to toss back a couple beers as well. It, it really has, between the draft and the last dance, it's really been, it's like what it would have been like if we lived in some alternate reality where there were still only three television stations. Because it's like, it just feels like the entire world is focused in on one or two events because they have to be, there's not a lot of options right now. And I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. The amount of people who uh, I'm sure this was the most, I think it was at least the first day was the most watched draft that there's ever been Uh, no surprise. And obviously with the last dance being the, the phenomenon that it is on ESPN, it's a, it's a very strange uh, world. Cause sometimes I'll, you know, during baseball season, I'll, I'll check Twitter and there will be people talking baseball and you'll have people viewing NBA basketball and people tweeting about, you know, reality shows. It's so strange to see the world almost united in like one or two uh, singular events. And I think it's actually made the draft and it's made uh, the last dance documentary as well. Uh, that much more interesting and that much more of a, a phenomenon. And I will say, I think they did a fantastic job uh, with everything that they had to deal with for the draft, I, I thought it went on with really without a lot of hitches, which is kind of amazing uh, when you consider what everyone was dealing with from the teams to the television production. Man, it was uh, it was quite something for for them to be able to pull that I off. I can't I can't really think of a single hitch outside of having to listen to like um, what One Republic and Luke Bryan do their. I, I did think it was cool that they kind of tied in a like a telethon aspect to it because obviously yeah. what's going on right now is horrible. And like I said, um, the job that yes, like say what you will about Trey Wingo. I'm not a Trey Wingo fan. I actually find him to be kind of annoying at times. Uh, but the production as a whole that ESPN, that the NFL were able to pull off. I mean, there were like 178 live feeds that they had to coordinate and get on like one single broadcast. I thought that, given the virtual format and uh, I thought they did a great job. And you know what? I mean, we're not going to go into like what NFL teams did and how, you know, grading drafts and things like that. We'll talk about our guys, obviously, but I think that the GMs and like the teams preferred this format too, because um, obviously it was cool to see the kids, you know, the, the family aspect to everything. And honestly, it seemed like, Outside of maybe three or four, maybe five teams in the entire league, there was a lot less overthinking this year. I think without Good point. those, without the in-person pro days and you know the individual meetings, and and I know they were doing Zoom calls and things like that with prospects, but they really did have to focus on watching the film. And it seemed like there was a a really, I mean, we'll just use the team in Michigan as an example, like the Detroit Lions. Like every time they picked, it seemed like they took a player you could argue was the best player on the board at the time. And we saw that with a lot of teams this past weekend. And I think when you, when all you have to do is go off the film, Hey, um, let's just get a good football player. I I really thought teams across the league did a really nice job this weekend of taking guys that we knew. I mean, we watch college football all day Saturday and, and, you know, in any capacity we can get it in. 
we know that these guys are good players. And it seems like NFL teams knew that they are good players too. We didn't see the, um, I feel bad for the smaller schools because it's always a cool story, but you know, we didn't see teams in the fifth round go with the long snapper out of uh, Sam Houston state or anything like that. Uh, I thought every from top to bottom, the production, the job that teams did, I thought that it was a really, really positive weekend for the NFL. Yeah, I, and actually, I think that's a really good point you make. We saw, as as draft people put it, uh, you know, a lot of chalk on um, o- over the weekend, and I think that's a definite point where teams probably less willing to take risks given the lack of you know uh, like pro days and stuff like that. Um, but I, I think it also led to kind of a lot more common sense stuff. I, I think it was very rare, with a few notable exceptions, that you saw guys. Uh, being drafted in prediction at spots where it was kind of unlikely that they would be drafted. I think people kind of uh, went with uh, went with their gut and be- went with the, the best possible uh, guy available and didn't take a lot of risk. And I think in general, like you said, the broadcast was very professionally done. I mean, a lot of there's always a lot of weird and memeable things about the draft just because it's so much television for so long. There's going to be uh, a few a few things to joke about but in terms of the broadcast itself yeah really well done i think it was it was a, a rare positive in sports which is much needed yeah and one one more quick thing too uh it's weird that roger goodell came off as very likable this weekend yeah I, I feel like he was just getting tired and or drunk maybe in his basement and he was just Same. like he, he, <laughs> i mean it was yeah he was relatable he was definitely relatable this week. He was just like ready to fall asleep at his easy chair at one point. Uh, but taking a look at obviously Michigan here after the weekend, 10 players drafted tied for the second most uh, in program history. And it, hey, say what you will about Jim Harbaugh winning games in college, but he sent a lot of guys to the NFL in his short tenure there. And obviously that's raised some discussions as to, why hasn't Michigan won more? And I, I want to talk about that a little bit before we get into the individual guys and where they went, particularly probably the uh, the fall of Donovan Peoples-Jones. But, you know, they had 10 guys drafted the same as Ohio State. But I, I think the the big, you know, glaring difference there is the, the top-end talent. What did I see? Ohio State, seven guys drafted in the first three rounds, while Michigan had eight in rounds four through seven, just two guys drafted in run. Uh, rounds one and two. I, I feel like that is the big difference. And to be quite honest with you, Michigan's won a lot under Jim Harbaugh. And the reason is they have a ton of NFL talent. Just I feel like they don't have a lot of that top end talent. That was kind of the case over the weekend here that we saw. Yeah, this this was a very good weekend for uh, the recruiting industry, because when you go and you look at, you know, in the first three rounds, um, uh, you look at how those guys, a lot of them, um, translated to what their star ranking was or what their player ranking was. The projections were kind of on point there. Um, And and I think a lot of that might just have to do again with what we talked about. Not as much time to uh, do extra, maybe too much scouting. Um, But then, okay. So Michigan had 10 guys drafted. LSU had 10 guys drafted on the first two nights of the draft. And I think Michigan had, what was it? Five or six guys go in round six. So that's where the difference is right now. And, and, you know, the thing is, and I, I had all these draft stories pre-written so we could just kind of plug and play. Uh, and I tried to look at recruiting rankings and, and include those in there. Michigan div- devout, do, does develop talent. I mean, a lot of, you know, Josh Uche was like the number 750th prospect in the country. Um, you know, Cesar Ruiz, a guy who 
was the t- he was the top center in the country, and he wound up being the top interior offensive lineman taken in his draft. So they are available. They have identified guys and developed them, but um, you know, for whatever reason, the five star guys. I mean, Donovan Peoples Jones, a guy who you know, five star coming out of high school, Shea Patterson, a five school, a five star coming out of high school, had a promising start to his college career. Those guys, namely on the offensive side of the ball, and, and shout out. Uh, Shout out to the offensive line. Four of your starting offensive linemen drafted. Pretty impressive there as well. Um, but for whatever reason, the quarterbacks and, and the skill players, it's it's been a it's been a problem for I think the last first round skill player they've had taken was Braylon in 2005, and then Devin Funches in like was a second round pick in whatever it was, 2014, 2015. 14, yeah. So Therein lies the problem, really. I mean, it's there's a lot of layers to this. I'll probably go in and look at that sometime this week for something on the site. But um, I, you see that number, and you're going to see on recruiting graphics they put out. You know, Michigan tied for second, ten guys in the draft. Yeah, they're going to get you to the NFL. But uh, you know, guys like Donovan Peoples Jones, and like I said, I don't. We'll, we'll talk about him here in a bit. But um, if you're a five star guy right now. Uh, it's pretty clear where you should be leaning if you want a school to maximize your potential. And I'm not trying to bag. This isn't to bag on a Michigan or bag on the program. It's just, it's go look at, just go look at the draft recap. Go look at who was picked where and where they went. It's, uh, it's kind of self-explanatory. It's, it's very strange and frustrating. You make a lot of good points about how some of the, I won't say lower level, cause there were still, you know, there's still, committed to play at a major university, but some of the guys that you probably didn't expect as much out of like Uche um, are probably going to be some guys who are going to have the most success uh, in the NFL coming out of Michigan. It's, it's just strange to me. And, and Luke, you brought up the point about top, top level talent. There's also the, the point that a lot of these Ohio state guys were offensive guys too. I mean, Michigan, it's been 15 years since Michigan had a running back the caliber of J.K. Dobbins. I mean, it, uh, it's it's so strange to me, though, that like you bring up the offensive line. Great. F- four guys in the offensive line get drafted. That's tremendous, and I'm, I'm happy for all those guys. But it's so strange to me that like you would think a team with four offensive linemen that got drafted would have a, a, a running game that was more dominant. Like I, Michigan had their moments last year offensively with the running game, but I never – I never got the impression that that was like some dominant ground game, especially no. considering the talent that was there. It's kind of the same with the defense. You have several defensive guys that get drafted, and yet you look at all the games they lost. I mean, some of those were over in the you know like the Wisconsin game and, and the Ohio State game, which I guess they pulled away in the second half. You know, defense got lit up, and it just makes me think there there are a, there's a whole lot of talent there. And I think it's undeniable that there is, you know, this is the key buzzword, the phrase talent, a talent gap with them at Ohio and Ohio state. I don't know if it's as huge as some people might make it out to be, because there's a lot of really talented guys on both ends of the ball for Michigan. And it's, it's strange that to see them put so many guys in the NFL and yet continually underachieve. Now there's, there are many reasons I'm not putting it all on, uh, inability to maximize talent because there's a lot of things we can point to uh, average to below average quarterback play. I mean, we've, we've done many podcasts about that already. There's also the fact that Ohio state is just insanely good, but I think it, I think it's kind of an ugly stat to be honest that you put 10 guys in the NFL and you have nine wins. I, I, I don't, especially cause there's no other program 
that's similar to that. LSU got a ton of guys drafted. They had like a top five best team in the history of college football last year. Ohio State, 10 guys drafted, made the playoffs, kind of got screwed over in the playoff. If not, they would have made the national championship, you know, finished 14 and one or 13 and one incredible season. Uh, And yet Michigan seems to be kind of in that second tier, despite the amount of talent that they're putting in the NFL. And it's, uh, it feels like they're kind of stuck in neutral and it's frustrating. Yeah. I'm going to, I don't want to cut off Luke, but I want to jump in and like uh, defend the run game just a little bit. Uh, Cause I I did see Josh Gaddis mix it up. I think he got into Ant Wright's mentions over the weekend. (laughs) Um, And I agree with, I agree with uh, coach Gaddis. I think that when you look at their run game, I don't look at their run game last year and see it as disappointing. Uh, I, I, I think it was used efficiently and when it needed to be used and, and it, it's not, I don't exactly think they're that type of offense anymore where you're looking at, okay, we're sending four guys to the draft and you know, why didn't we run for 250, 300 yards a game? Um, so I, I don't know if, and again, let's, let's not kid ourselves here. Like four NFL offensive linemen, that's very impressive, but Outside of Cesar Ruiz, everyone was a day three pick after that too. Right. So it's, it wasn't exactly like uh, it wasn't a dominant offensive line, but it was a pretty. You know, I, I actually think that's a positive for them in that look at the job that Ed Warner's been able to do. I mean, two years ago to think about how bad Michigan's offensive line had been for ten years, and then a couple of years later they've got four guys going to the NFL. Um, that guy is worth every penny they're paying them. They're paying him and probably not getting paid enough, quite frankly. Well, I mean, there's also the thing that when we look back on it, they, they had four losses. Yes. One was to Ohio or they only had nine wins. So what? Four losses last year. One yeah. was to Ohio State and one was to Alabama. Like if you went into last season, maybe the Ohio State one, because we weren't sure with Ryan Day, but by the time you get to the end of the season, you don't think there's any real chance, you know? But you go back and Michigan, they had a great 2018 season until they got to Ohio State. Like, Michigan could have kept going with that offense, you know, going into last year. Jim Harbaugh made a change because of what happened in Columbus in 2018 amongst the offense, and they didn't get it going until the second half of the Penn State game. You know, they could have grinded out uh, wins. They could have got to 10 wins with this offensive line. They could have grinded it out. But at the end of the day, they still weren't going to beat Ohio State. They weren't any closer to beating Ohio State if they do that. They weren't any closer to beating teams like Bama, whereas I think they did take a step in being able to compete with some of those teams, especially with the way they're starting to recruit offensively. Uh, The offense is going to be changing moving forward, and you had to make that change at some point. So, yeah, they could have grinded out some more wins last year, playing the same style that they did in 2018, but no one won wanted to see that it just took a long time for the offense to get implemented and for everyone to get comfortable in it and that's where i've said this before too that you're not going to know if last year step back was worth it until you see what happens this year if you come out and you go eight and four nine and three again um which which you could very well do i mean they have a lot of young guys and new guys that they're breaking in here the most important piece of that being a quarterback but um last year was all about we know what happened in 2018. They were really close. They proved that you can win and you can put yourself in position to win the East playing that style of football. But when it push came to shove and you need to get into a track, a track meet with Ohio state, you couldn't really do it. And they took steps towards doing that this year and turnovers happened. Some mistakes and miscues happened. Um, 
J.K. Dobbins had a had a fumble jump right back up to his hands that he took yeah, for like a fifteen second, yard second game. play from second <laughs> offensive play from scrimmage for them. I mean, it's just uh, again, you people don't see the progress that was made. But like I said, I, I think we covered it pretty thoroughly that we thought all in all when you looked at that this offense this past season, and maybe we're getting a little bit off track now. But um, by the time the season was over, and really for parts, you know. For a lot of that Alabama game before things kind of spiraled out of control, um, you were tit for tat with them too. So, again, um, I'm not going to dog the offense too badly. I think the, I, I, this is one of my catchphrases on here. The only thing that matters to me now is what happens next with next year's team um, in terms of the offensive stuff. Um, and, and we'll call it what it was. I mean, this team's ceiling was limited by its quarterback play, and the quarterback that they had wasn't drafted and to this point we're recording here on Monday afternoon hasn't received an invite to an NFL team as an undrafted free agent. So I'm not using that as an excuse to bag the kid, but um, you know, for the more critical voices out there that Michigan fans have been kind of annoyed with the rest of the league just kind of sent you a message about what they thought about, about your quarterback play as well. So you just need to be better there. And maybe just some offensive skill players in general want to talk about uh, the free fall while Shea Patterson not getting drafted. Maybe a little free fall. Donovan Peoples-Jones will get into some of the individual stuff. But first, we have to take a break and we'll be back to talk about that on Brewcast. Welcome back into Brewcast. Luke Giardi, Anthony Broom, Chris Castellani here with you recording on a Monday afternoon headed into Tuesday, taking a look back on the NFL draft that was saw 10 Wolverines taken over the three days of the NFL draft, but still some surprises, guys. Uh, not really surprised. Cesar Ruiz was a first round pick, not a surprise. Josh, Josh Uche uh, was a second day pick, but maybe a couple of surprises. One, Donovan Peoples-Jones falling all the way to the sixth round and another uh, personal surprise for me was Kalik Hudson being taken in the fifth round what were some of the the surprises for you guys and I'd imagine DPJ is on that short list uh actually I'm less surprised by DPJ falling than I am that all three of Kalik Hudson Mike Dana and Jordan Glasgow were all drafted I mean that was very fair point Mike, Mike Dana was one thing I'd heard some buzz like late last week that him and Josh Metellus were kind of guys that had had some quiet interest behind the scenes. But when they said Jordan Glasgow in the sixth round, I almost fell out of my chair and I'm happy for him. <laughs> Cause that's, that is, that's three Glasgow brothers now that have all come to Michigan as walk-ons and all left as NFL players, which this fan base, there's a portion of this fan base that hasn't appreciated those three brothers. Definitely kind of crapped on Jordan Glasgow this year. Um, the guy was a Butkus Award semifinalist, so I don't, I don't know. I think those people know more than than Michigan fans do. Um, not to bag on you guys, but um, he's pretty good. Uh, he's a good player for what they asked him for. Like again, I'm not going to bag on a player because maybe a coach didn't use him properly or didn't use. Listen, I mean Jordan Glasgow playing three tech defensive tackle was ridiculous and scrapped immediately after it happened. But like I said. Um, very cool story. I think as time passes, I mean, um, three Glasgow brothers walking out of their careers at Michigan as walk-ons and, uh, you know, leaving the program as NFL players is something that I think is pretty special. So uh, a pleasant surprise nonetheless. Um, but yeah, I, I, if you were, 
if you had put a gun to my head before the draft and said, who, who's more likely to get drafted, Shea Patterson or Jordan Glasgow, I probably would have said Patterson because I, I think there's, you know, I think there was some play left on the table there and, and some traits there. But, uh, hey, good for him. This is so cool. Yeah. Uh, Mike, Mike Dan was a surprise, and I'm, I'm happy for him. You know, he, he – uh, uh, that was a you know high risk or not low risk high reward type of scenario, and I think it paid off. He had a very good uh, year at Michigan. I'm happy to see him uh, get drafted. Hudson in the fifth round was a bit of a surprise. Obviously, a, a great athlete, great talent. had had a solid year last year. Also had several mental lapses, a lot of bad penalties uh, in big moments last season against the offsides against Ohio State, and I believe he had an offsides against uh, Penn State as well. Um, you know, had, had a few you know, lapses on the field, but a very talented player. Uh, the DPJ one, uh, I guess we'll, we'll dive into this here. Um, I know Anthony, you said you had a little bit of insight, uh, regarding that drop. I, I'll say this. I'm not surprised he dropped as far as he did, because when you, when you look at it, yes, DPJ, a, a phenomenal athlete, right? Most receivers who play in the NFL, in fact, all receivers who play in the NFL are good athletes. Right. I think that he was, he had, there were a lot of holes in his game. Uh, unim- fairly unimpressive route runner from, from some of the reports I read. Um, had a lot of drops a season ago. Um, you know, impressive vertical jump. Like I said, you know, very, very quick, very talented. Uh, probably still a bit raw. Uh, if, so it didn't shock me to see him drop. It shocked me to see some of the guys who went ahead of him. Like, you know, no disrespect to these guys, but like it's weird seeing receivers from like two lane go ahead of a guy like DPJ. Uh, so it wasn't it wasn't shocking to me, but I think that even still Michigan fans, some, not all, but some view him for what we believed he would be as opposed to what he was. What he was, he was a good receiver here. Had his moments, but he had, what, 34 catches uh, this season? And that's not all his fault. Maybe they didn't use him right. Obviously, the quarterback play had something to do with it, but you know, he was kind of just some guy here. He, you made in terms of production, he was the third best receiver on his own team. Good player. I don't want to disparage the guy. I do think he'll make a team. I do think he'll have a spot somewhere in an NFL roster. Weirdly, I think Cleveland is kind of a good spot for him, which is the first time we've ever said that about anybody ever. But uh, I, 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 I wish him the best. But it didn't shock me as much as I think it surprised other people. I think that we can go back to Anthony's point as part of the reason. I know Anthony's got other reasons that he's going to dive into here, but Anthony talked about this when we first started and we we talked about the production and everything like that was that teams were going much more on film than they were much else other than, you know, what they saw at the combine or the pro day because everything kind of got cut short this year. And they, they didn't have to they didn't get to bring guys in for workouts and in-person interviews and things like that. So I'd imagine a, a lot of the scouting on DPJ did come from the film and his film, I, I'd imagine, was less than spectacular, having not gone back and, and watched it, you know, myself or dissected it or anything like that. But uh, there were times that he wasn't able to get open uh, on some guys. And, you know, obviously the, the quarterback position uh, played a part in the times that he did get open, you know, I and this isn't him, but I remember the the Nico Collins, I think it was against Penn State being absolutely wide open, no one around him and Shea not being able to find him, you know. But I, I think if if it's any other year, I don't know if DPJ does fall uh, as far to the sixth round, but Anthony uh, had some insight on that that he shared with us that he, he may have regardless. 
the first point here is that this was a historic wide receiver draft in terms of the talent, uh, the depth, the value throughout all seven rounds of the draft. So, I mean, DPJ in the sixth round, that's great value. Um, regardless. I mean, even if, if any other year where he dropped like this, he still might, he might've been a fourth or a fifth round pick. Um, you know, it's one of those things where, um, yeah, they did look a little bit more at the film this year and forget just looking at, without even looking at the film, go through and look at the, the box scores, the, the game logs. There's not a whole lot of production there for a guy that, for a guy with all these traits. And again, there are extenuating circumstances there. Was the quarterback play great throughout his career? No. Um, was it, uh, you know, did he have some injury problems? Yes, he did, but he was never, he was always a guy that was a threat. He felt like a threat out there, yeah. but never actually followed through with that. Um, I can tell you this, and, and this is, uh, if this is a scoop or breaking news on here, whatever, uh, so be it. The same NFL person I spoke to back in January when Cesar Ruiz was talking about entering the NFL draft, the same person that told me if he enters the draft, we have a top 40 grade on him, uh, shared with me over the weekend that the pre-draft interviews with Donovan Peoples-Jones were not great. Um, there was, uh, without getting too much into detail here, I, I think there was a um, there was some blame uh, placed on some of the things that took place. Um, maybe some excuses made. Uh, obviously, the injuries didn't help his situation. Um, you know, they just felt like, you know, again, like one of you guys said. When you get to this level, everyone's a good, everyone's a tremendous athlete. Um, you know, he's, and I want to debunk the idea that Michigan didn't develop Donovan Peoples-Jones. Uh, he played early as a freshman and there were times where he looked lost out there. Um, I remember the Wisconsin, there was the Wisconsin game where uh, he caught a ball in the end zone that should have been a touchdown, but he just didn't quite know where to put it, you know, where his feet were, how to get his feet underneath him. And he stepped out of bounds and, now, people will say that's a that was a questionable call, but it's what happened. I think that year two, the best thing that could have happened to him was Jim McElwain in year two, yeah. a guy who is supremely overqualified to be coaching wide receivers. Um, we saw development there. He he improved as a route runner. He improved, um, you know, his body awareness, his his catch radius. It was all good. Um, but again, you go back. I don't think he ever had a one hundred yard game at Michigan. You know, the plays that we know of him, like the what play do we think of and think Donovan Peoples-Jones at Michigan? It's the 79-yard touchdown at Michigan State no uh, where, he did the, where he did the Paul Bunyan. That was the only catch he made in that game. That was the one play. Mm-hmm. And I think they just, you know, teams just feel like, you know, and you look at these guys that were drafted ahead of him. I mean, there was, look at some of the stat lines of the guys that were taken ahead of him this past year. And you, know, you can't just look at stats and project from there, but um I think that teams are really, I don't think teams necessarily liked what they heard as the answer to why weren't you more productive at Michigan? And that's not, I'm not saying that Michigan, um, you know, trashed him during the pre-draft process. I think there's some people out there that think that happened. Um, But there is a, there is a theory around the NFL and in Ann Arbor that a senior season would have greatly benefited him. Um, but things were not, you know, without, again, getting into to message board stuff here. Um, 
the chemistry in that wide receiver room last year was not great. And something was definitely a miss. And if, if a guy like people's Jones comes back, maybe you lose a guy like Nico Collins who, who declares for the NFL draft. So um, it was probably best for all side for some factors in the equation to move on. Um, but that's my understanding of kind of what took place there. Uh, I don't want to say it's a maturity issue. Um, I just think that um, the message, the messaging mixed with the production and some of the things that, that these teams saw on film, I just, that was a day three pick to people. So, and that's the T on that. <laughs> no, I think that I, it just, it took me a second to take that in. I think that's tremendous insight. Uh, I think there's probably a whole lot of truth to what you're saying. I think it's very disappointing that last year's team, which coming into last season, uh, we viewed the wide receiver wide receiver core as uh, one of the major things we didn't have to worry about. Uh, it sounds like there was some, there might have might have been. I'll just say uh, maybe some internal issues there. Uh, I will say this: I th- I think uh, I still believe Michigan lucked out getting Nico Collins to return. I think he was more NFL ready than um Oh, absolutely. than than DPJ was. I think he was I think he was a guy. I know that people were looking at the tape a lot this year, but I think Nico Collins' tape is is remarkably impressive because he doesn't drop passes yeah. and he's a very, he's a very good athlete like all these guys. He's a good route runner. I think he pro- he probably would have shot up draft boards a lot well, more. That's- than people's that's a tremendous that's a tremendous example because that's a guy where you can look at his stat line and go geez why wasn't this guy's a beast Uh, why wasn't he involved more and then you go back and look at the film and you're like oh geez he actually is a beast and just they didn't target him enough so i think those are two very different situations there and um do i think this discourages them from you know recruiting several highly ranked guys at the same position group um, in the future? No, I don't. Um, but the fact of the matter is that 2017 wide receiver class had Nico Collins, it had Donovan Peoples-Jones, it had Tariq Black, and Oliver Martin. Three of those guys are no longer here. So from the jump, uh, it just seems like those guys just didn't fit well together personality-wise. I don't know how you – I don't think you change your recruiting approach to that just for whatever reason. I mean, you changed offenses. You, you know. There was stuff on the depth chart. There were freshmen. I mean, by the end of the season, Tariq Black was passed by true freshmen on the depth chart. So um, it just be that way sometimes. I'm not trying to trash anyone on the way out the door. I'm just sharing the information as it was given to me. I don't, you know, I'm comfortable even doing that because I'm not really a guy that's, you know, Mr. Mr. Exclusive with scoops or anything. I just happen to know a guy that knows what he's talking about. So I don't know. Um, it sucks for him. I, I wish him the best. I think his best football is still very much ahead of him. Um, but that's kind of what went into his slide down the draft board. So, Well, some good insight here today and some good uh, discussion. Wish we got in, we're, had time to co- go into more like Lavert Hill and, and some other surprises that we saw. But uh, we, we do have a long summer ahead of us. So, Chris. Where can we find you on social media? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Castellani2014. That's at C-A-S-T-E-L-L-A-N-I-2014. You know, usually I have some knowledge of what content's coming down the pike. I I don't know right now. I'm I'm 
I'm increasingly beginning to believe that there won't be a baseball season this year. You know, maybe that's just the pessimist in me, but uh, I, I have some evidence to support that. I do still have my podcast, my other podcast, Locked On Tigers. You can follow that uh, Twitter account as well at Locked On Tigers. And uh, if you want to see me on Instagram as well, that's Chris Castle 95. That's C H R I S C A S T L E 95. Please follow me on all those platforms. Anthony, where can we find you? All right, you can find me on Twitter at Anthony T. Broom. Follow the website at Maze and Brew. Get our podcasts wherever you get our shows, Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher. Uh, really quickly on Levert Hill, I just shared on the way out the door. It's not something we need to discuss. I'll read the exact text as I got it. Levert Hill, not big enough to play the boundary, not twitchy enough to play inside, grabby regardless, worth a flyer as an undrafted free agent. That was the text I got. Hmm. Wow. So, um, there we go. That that's that's what it was. Um, at least from one person in the know. So, um, yeah, uh, we'll see what comes next. Uh, I think next year Michigan, there's a chance they have a similarly sized draft hall, maybe seven, eight, nine players, as many as is that. Uh, so we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, we'll talk about that when the time comes a year from now. You can follow me on Twitter at Luke Giardi, L-U-K-E-G-H-I-A-R-D-I. You can follow the Brewcast Twitter page at Brewcast Show. And remember to subscribe and leave a review for all of our shows and content where you get your podcast by searching Mason Brew Podcast on Apple, Googles, Spotify, and more. So for Chris Castellani and for Anthony Broom, I'm Luke Giardi, and we'll be back next week on Brewcast.